sorry, Mark 16, uh, verse number 9. Mark 16, verse number 9. Amen. Mark 16, verse 9. I want you to think on this thought. That's just who He is. That's just who He is. Mark 16, verse 9. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom He had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with Him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that He was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that He appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. You may be seated, Bobby Brooks, lead us to the Lord in prayer, sir. Oh God, we do. Lord, we cast ourselves upon you, Lord. Help us, Lord. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. Help us, Lord. Lord, I pray. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's just who He is in the, this text that we read in verse number nine. Bible says that Jesus appeared in these post-resurrection appearances. He appeared to three different groups of people right here, and I believe in these three different groups of people that we can find ourselves in one of those three groups this morning. That word appeared, it literally means that he presented himself or he showed himself and and in doing so he is saying this is who I am Uh, after that he died for my sins and for your sins. Now remember, on that cross he suffered not because of wrong he did, but he suffered because of my wrong and because of your wrong. He who knew no sin becomes sin for us there on the cross. He endured the wrath of God not because He was the guilty dog. Uh, He endured the wrath of God because He was the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He endured God's wrath because He took upon Himself my sins and my sin death. And so He had died for our sins. He was buried. He took blood into heaven to the mercy seat of heaven and on that third day He led captivity captive and He arose victorious over death, hell, and the grave and today He's got the keys to death, hell, and the grave in His hands. That is who who He is today. But after He arose, He revealed Himself. He appeared. He, he, He showed up to these three groups of people. He appeared, number one, to some of the worst. 
He appeared, number two, to some wounded, and He appeared, number three, to some who were wandering or lost, if you will. He appeared, He said, this is who I am. This is who I am for you. And so today, let's look at these three individuals. Verse number 9. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom He had cast seven devils. It doesn't get any worse than that. She had seven devils. I've seen devils before. I remember one time when I got out of the army and I moved back in. My mom lived out there on Pigeon Street, that little house I've talked about. I remember, I, I remember that uh, I got out of the army and moved in with her for a little while so I could get my, my direction, my bearing in life, if you will. She had been to the beach with my aunt and some other people, and she had come back, and she had gotten sunburnt. And I got up one morning, and for some reason, I was going through the kitchen fixing myself a bowl of cereal. And when I reached in there and got that gallon of milk, and I, I seen her legs were sunburnt, for some reason in my immature mind, I thought that it would be really cool to jerk the back of her shirt up and ram that cold jug of milk on that sunburned back. Let me tell you something, my sweet little mama that worships with us on Sunday morning sometimes, she was not a sweet little mama. Uh, from somewhere in that kitchen, out of her body, they must have been seven, at least seven devils come out, and she unleashed fury on me. And let me tell you this, the preacher's wife that you see sitting over here, she's not that sweet preacher's wife you see so many times. I've got a tongue on me, Barb mentioned tongues in our life group, there's times when the Holy Spirit contains it and times when not. And there's times whenever, I, whenever I'm bound to say what I'm going to say. And there are times when I just know I shouldn't say something, uh, but then I tell myself, no, I'm going to say it anyway. And I've done that a few times, my friend. And buddy, when I've done it, I knew I was wrong because I've seen it in her eyes uh, and I've seen it uh, in her action. Uh, but this woman that the Bible's speaking of here, this is much of a different sort. Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus had cast seven devils. Jesus appears unto her, and in appearing unto her, He says, This is who I am. I am revealing Myself to you as a Savior who loves you, who cares for you, who has come to you, who died for you and rose again. I'm here as a risen Lord to be what you need as one of the worst that there are in society. I want to say some things today, and I want to be careful. Some people talk about their past, and I'm sure I've done it at times too, but some people talk about their past sinful life in such a way to where they glorify that sinful living. You know, how much they drunk, or how much they smoked, or how wild that they used to live, or, or, or how many parties they went to. So I want to be careful as I speak about this. And I'm not, I don't want to glorify the flesh. I want to glorify the Savior. But I will say this, as I examined my life and I thought about Mary Magdalene, and I thought she's a picture of some of the worst, I started thinking about some things that I've said. And today while I stand in this pulpit and I preach the Word of God and I read the Word of God and I sit there on that front pew and I 
I get to lip. I don't sing much, but I get to lip and try to sing along with the choir of God's graces and God's mercies and, and the love of God. I started thinking, Brother Johnny, about a time when my tongue has said things that I wished I'd have never said. I've said things I can never take back. I've said things not only in ways that shouldn't be said, but I've said things with tones that shouldn't be spoken in, and I've said words that should never be uttered from the mouth of a living human being. And I regret that today. I truly do. But I know this. I know one day that I met the Master. I know one day that I met a man who could take my tongue and he could change the words that I speak. He could change my tone. He changed my attitude. And my friend, where there was once filth, he replaced it with mercy. He replaced it with love. And he replaced it with grace. I'm glad he showed up one day at 825 Pigeon Street and he said, this is who I am. I'm here as a crucified, living, resurrected Savior. I'm here for one of the worst. Not just things I've said. But I'm going to be honest with you. I've done some things that I'm not proud of. That's just the bottom line truth. I'm not going to go back and bring it up. We're not going to live in it. I'm not going to give the devil a chance to be glorified. But I'll say this, I would dare say that I'm not the only individual in this church who's done things that you wouldn't want nobody else in this church to know about. You've done things that you, you're glad that the Lord's the only one that knows about it. But I want you to know too that I'm glad that there still is a blood. There is a blood that the grave can't hide. I'm glad that there is a blood that has life because on the third day there was a resurrection and that gave life unto that blood. If he had laid in that grave and was still in that grave, then that blood would be no different than any other blood. Uh, but he's not in that grave, and he did not stay in that grave. But just like he said he would do on that third day, hey, in three days they could tear it down. Uh, but on that third day, he raised it up. I'm glad of that. And so I'm glad there's a Savior that's alive, and there is a blood that the grave can't hide, uh, that covered all of my wrongs, all of my wickedness, all of my worst, the worst of me. He saw it all, and he died for it on Calvary's hill. And he loves me, and he says, this is who I am. This is who I am. Man, I started thinking then about people I know. I started thinking, I told you one time not too awful long ago, one night Kyle and I was working on that old bar squad, working those bar hours, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. Russ Avenue was really a bad place. I, I loved Waynesville because it's this happy little tourist town during the daytime where everybody come to the mountains to, you know, walk Main Street and all that stuff. And at nighttime it was kind of rough. And and we had the hop in on Russ Avenue, the handy pantry. It changed names a couple times. One week, it got robbed. We show up, and the guy'd come in, and he just made a threat, and he put his finger in his coat, and uh, and told it was a gun, and and robbed the place. Had the clerk all to pieces, and we, after a long chase around town, we finally figured out who it was, where he went, and we got him that same night. He was on crack cocaine, and. A couple weeks later, the handy pantry got robbed again, and this time he got a little more brave. He was a little more desperate. He told he knew when he walked to the counter, he'd been in there enough to know when he got cigarettes, he'd say, give me a pack of matches. The clerk would lean over and have to get matches from under the counter. He knew that, and so he went in that night, and he laid, he laid a, a, a 12-pack of beer up on the uh, counter, and he asked for a certain kind of cigarette. She laid, and he said, now I need matches. 
And when she laid those matches, when she bent down to get those matches, he took her head, he shoved it down on the counter and held her down and pulled out a bowie knife and laid it to her throat. And he said, now with your other hand, open that register and give me everything you got. And she did that, and when we got there, she was absolutely terrified, almost in a panic in a, in a panic attack, needing to go to the hospital by ambulance. We found out who it was, run them down that night, found them in an apartment. It was the same young man who had done that twice, uh, convicted of armed robbery, nearly killing a lady that second time, all for an habitual drug habit. And then not long ago, just a few months ago, I got word one evening from the girls and Sarah had went somewhere and I think they had sung. And they come home and Elizabeth said, Daddy, she said they was this man, she said this church was kind of dead, but they've got, they have got this youth minister, this associate pastor, that boy acts like he's on something, he could not sit still. He jumped up and down. He ran all around. He was praising Jesus. And she said something about, Daddy, you ought, we got to talking. And she started telling me about a tattoo he had on his hand right here. And I knew instantly the man that had that t- tattoo. I called his name and she said, that's it. Uh, just about two weeks ago on a Wednesday night, we got to go to revival at Tuscola, a one-night deal, and sit down there with all those kids. And she pointed that man out. And friends, let me tell you something. A man who once run a clerk's head down on a counter and laid a bowie knife to her throat was had his hands in the air praising Jesus, worshiping the God of heaven. I'm telling you our God, He loves the worst. And He says, this is who I am. A Savior that loves you, was crucified, buried, and rose again. And here I am, if you'll just have me. The worst. And I was thinking about I was thinking about a man one time who this church got to praying for him. His wife and his daughter started coming. We got to praying for him. There was death in his family. And by the way, let me tell you something. You would be surprised how many times God has to use death to get you in church or to get you where you need to be. If there's one thing that can do it, it's death. Through death, I was introduced to this man who was once a prayer request and I didn't know who he was. And then one day after a service one morning, Everybody had come out and was leaving the church. His wife caught me right there about where Colton's at. I don't know what I was doing over there, but that's where she caught me at. And she started to weep for her husband. And she said, Preacher, I want you to pray for him. She said, The way he's living is killing me. It's killing our family. He was drinking a case of beer a day. He was addicted to meth. He sold meth. He was addicted to online gambling, and he was addicted to pornography. She said, pray for him. He's killing us. We're dying here. And through the process of death, I've got to meet this man. The first time I met him, he had a ponytail down to his tail, and his hair was all wrapped up in the ponytail. I told him I was going to see him again. The next time I saw him, he had cut that ponytail off. See, when God starts convicting us, we start trying to clean our life up ourselves. We start trying to get rid of all of the junk. We start trying to walk right. But what you've got to know now is, is you can't get rid of the junk. You can't walk right. You need the Lordship of Jesus Christ to get rid of the junk. And you need the Spirit of God so you can walk right. I told him, I said, I'm going to come see you on a Tuesday. On a, I'm going to come see you on Monday morning. He said, come on. I don't remember what happened on that Monday morning. My schedule got busy. I know what happened. God was ordaining this. My schedule got busy, and I had to call and cancel with him. And I, I called. I said, I, I, 
I can't come today. I've got to come tomorrow. I'll be there Tuesday morning. I'll be there. There won't be no change in the schedule. He said, come on. I got there Tuesday morning. I didn't know then, but he told me, he said, Preacher, I was awake all night Sunday night thinking you were coming on Monday. He said, I was tore up. He said, I could not sleep. He said, I paced these floors. He said, I was sick and I was worried to death. He said, and then you called and you canceled and it made it that much more worse. I had a whole other day to wait. I got there on Tuesday morning and he was waiting to see us. He was waiting on me. He welcomed me into his home. He was sitting in a recliner. I sat down on the couch over against the wall. I shared with him Jesus, and he said, you don't have to tell me none of these things. He said, preacher, I was saved a long time ago, but he said, I've just been living in the world, and he said, I left God. And he said, I know what I need to do. And I said, well, are you ready to do it? Isn't it about time that you do it? Knowing it and doing it's two different things. And if you know it, you better get to where you need to be. God's going to hold you accountable. And he said, I know that. He said, this just sweated me. And he said, I'm ready. He was a big man, about 535 pounds. And he had bad knees. And I said, let me tell you something. I said, I know you can't get up and down out of that chair. I said, you bow your head, and I'll get on my knees in this floor, and you pray for you, and I'll pray for you, and we'll just beg for God's mercy, and we'll meet God in the throne room. He said, no, I have to get on my knees for this. See, he had been so far from God. When he come home, he wanted to come home the right way. That was on his knees. And so he got down and we got to praying and he started begging. I'll never forget the prayers he prayed. He begged God for mercy. He begged God not to kill him. He begged. I mean, he was not beyond begging God to forgive him and to restore him and to bring him in. And when we got done praying, Brother Johnny, we got up out of that floor, and I was bigger then. I still hovered around 203. I come over here and started pastoring, and this crowd fattened me. We had meals all that started fattening me. I weighed about 213 then. I had like one of them donut rings around my, my belt, you know. I had this little bitty backside and legs, and but I had a big old waist, so I had to buy like those 38 jeans, you know, and nothing else fit but around, around the waist. I was pretty hefty, but we got out of that floor, uh, and that man grabbed a hold of me, and honest to God, I thought I was going to meet Jesus. He wrapped his arms around me and grabbed me, and he shook me from the kitchen to the living room, from the kitchen to the living room, from the kitchen to the living room, and I finally said, brother, you've got to let me down. I've got to take an air break just for a minute. Man, I'm glad, listen to me, I'm glad no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, there is a God, there is a Savior who was crucified, buried, and rose again. And for you, He's saying, here I am. Here I am. Well, I went, there's a church in Waynesville I go to sometimes when we're not having church. I've been there a couple of times now, but I never forget walking in the first time. The very first time I went in that church, there was a bar in Waynesville I used to hang out in when I was in the Army, when I'd come home on weekends. And then when I went into law enforcement, I had to quit going there because we, kept, we had to go there all the time on calls. And I had to go down there to walk through the bar and do bar checks and stuff like that when I was working. And uh, when I went in this church, God knows this is the truth. It was like, let me say this, it was a spirit-filled church. I mean, there's some people there that just love Jesus. When I went in that church, it was like a reunion from that barroom. But oh, of a different sort. There's no Budweiser's being lifted. There's no pool tables being fought on. There was no band, a rock and roll band playing up on the stage, and there was no dance floor. But what there was is there was an old-time spirit-filled choir 
they was standing up there anointed to singing for Jesus. They was a preacher that opened up the Word of God, and I mean preached it, buddy, like it should have been preached and like it needed to be preached. But I'll never forget that day. One individual caught my eye. It was this young lady. She's a middle middle aged, well, younger than me, I guess, probably hovering around forty herself now. But uh, but there was this lady, forty years old, and she had her husband and she had her children there, and she got up, dressed in the most godly attire, got up in that choir and sung for Jesus and lifted her hands in praise to Him. And the last time I had seen her, uh, she was just a bar girl. Uh, she would be at this bar and then at that bar and then at that bar and then at that bar, wherever the men went, wherever the crowd went. That's where she went to. Uh, but somewhere along the way, there was a Savior that stopped her in her tracks and said, this is who I am. I died for you, was buried and rose again, and I give myself to you. And she trusted in that Jesus. And now she stands Sunday after Sunday. She's there on Wednesday nights too. And she's worshiping our Savior. Oh, what a difference that Jesus makes. I could go on. I can't stop right there. I could go on and on talking about the worst. I was thinking about the other day going to a funeral. A couple of weeks ago, going to a funeral, meeting a man who was one of the most vile men one of the most corrupt individuals. And he had to come and tell me. He said, I hear you're preaching now. And I said, well, I'm trying to. God called me about 18 years ago. And I'm trying to preach. And he said, well, he said, you need to know that I'm not like I used to be. I said, really? What's happened? And he said, well, I go to church now. He called me by my last name, Sedaris. That's what he always knew me by. He said, well, I go to church now, Sedaris. I said, where do you go? And he named the church. It's a Bible-believing church. It's a good church. I said, really? He said, oh yeah. He said, there's nothing like it. He said, in fact, he said, I had some land that the church needed. I own land right next church. He said, God moved on me to give that land to the church, and I give it to them, and they were able to build, and they were able to expand their property. He said, God's done so much for me. Man, what a meeting that was. A man that was vile and wicked, but what a difference Jesus makes in the life of an individual. Well, let's move on quickly. We've got to hurry. And then the Bible says this. Verse 11. I'm sorry, verse number 12. After that he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. Those two right there, the Bible speaks of, those were two wounded Individual. Now you need to listen right here. I, I, I may have I may have just caught this morning a religious crowd in this church, and maybe maybe they was maybe there's nobody in here who was ever wicked, or who was ever the worst. I'm just going to say I, I know that I've done some very wicked things. I, I have certainly fell into the category of some of the worst, not only because of things I've done, but because of sorry attitude that I used to have in life full of pride, thinking that a good job, a good career, and a fat paycheck would get me somewhere in eternity until God took the rug out from under me and I realized that that didn't matter at all before God in eternity. That I needed Jesus. And I needed Jesus. So I may not t- we may not touch you on that first point, being the worst. You may have been religious. You may have grew up in You may have been saved off a church pew. You may not admit to being saved off a bar stool. But this next little group right here, they were wounded. And you hear me out right now. They were disciples of Jesus. They were walking on, in Luke 23, I believe, they were walking on the road to Emmaus. 
Man, they were kicking rocks. They were kicking rocks. Things were bad. See, they thought Jesus was surely the Messiah. They believed with all of their hearts, and he was and he is, but they thought with all of their hearts that he was going to come and he was going to set up rule and reign, that he would crush the hand of Roman rule throughout the world, and that the kingdom of God would be established there and then in the world in which they lived. That's what they thought. And the last they had heard, maybe the last they had seen, that same Jesus who they thought was the Messiah, who they thought would rescue them, they saw Him being beat at an old Roman whipping post. They saw Him being mocked. They saw Him being nailed to a tree and lifted up. They saw Him crucified and dead. Life was over with. And they're on the road to Emmaus, kicking rocks, kicking the can. The Bible says Jesus pulls up alongside of them. He asks them, what's wrong? They don't know it's Him. And they said, man, what do you mean what's wrong? Don't you know what's been going on in Jerusalem? Jesus, the one we thought was the Messiah, He's been crucified. Don't you know? And the Bible says that Jesus, He took the Word and began to open the Word to them and began to speak about Himself. Jesus preaching Jesus. And then their hearts were warned. We know the rest of the story. And their eyes were open. And they realized they'd been with the Lord. And they go running all the way back. And they have to, tell, they have to spread the word and tell the word. But I want you to know they had been, they had been wounded. I, I mean, they had been hurt. But let me tell you what I know as pastor. I know this. I know life ain't fair. I know dreams are shattered. Man, I mean, I know that there's valleys you never thought you'd have to go through. There's deaths you never thought you'd have to face. But there are hills and mountains that you can't climb. You're not as strong as you think you are, and you found that out more than once. You thought you'd never get discouraged, but you've been that way. You thought you'd never walk in the valley of depression, but you've been there. You thought you'd never suffer defeat, but defeats come at your step. You thought that precious little son and daughter would always be right under your feet but they've left home and they turned prodigal. You thought that marriage would work out, but it didn't. You thought, my friend, you'd have that job forever, but the plant closed down, the factory stopped, you lost that job. Friend, life is full of disappointments. Life leaves us with heartaches. Life leaves us, leaves us with brokenness. The truth of the matter is, though Jesus heals, life leaves us with scars and marks and hurts that we just never forget about. I want to tell you something. <laughs> for every scar you bear, for every bruise you carry, for every pain you have, there's a Savior that loves you and He knows all about scars and He knows all about bruises and He knows all about hurts. He knows all about pains. He knows all about being forsaken. When mom and daddy forsook you, when that husband forsook you, that wife forsook you, when the children's left you, when mama wouldn't love you and daddy wouldn't put you on his lap. Buddy, you let me tell you something. There's a Savior who died, rose at buried, and rose again. And today, He'll be just that for the wounded within the church of God today. He loves the worst. and He loves the wounded. There's so many hurt people in the world today. There's so many hurt people in the church today. Let's just stop right there. Let's don't even go outside our walls. And somebody says something wrong to you at work, 
and you go into depression over it and have to pop a pill? Let me tell you something. If that was the least of your worries, you ought to do backflips out of the office. These people around you that are really hurting. These people around you that have been truly beat up and beat down. These people around you that have buried a mama with cancer. These people around you that have lost a child. There are people around you who's truly suffering and battling through depression so deep nobody knows. You say, preacher, I don't know anybody like it. Everybody I know, they get up and they go to work and they smile every day. There's people in deep depression that does that every day. These people around you that are wounded, and maybe that somebody's you. Well, you let me tell you the good news today. Today there's a Savior. He loves the worst. Thank God. Thank God He loves those who said things they shouldn't say and done things they should have never done. Thank God for that. But thank God He's a Savior. He knows what suffering's about. He's the suffering servant. That's what He is. He was bruised for our transgressions. But thank God by His stripes we are healed. If you're wounded this morning, there is a God that loves you today. Not just the wounded. And I close with this. And let me get somebody to come... Uh, sing the hymn of invitation. Becky, if you and Andrew have something, you can come. If not, musicians, just work it out. I'll let you deal with that. We're so glad to have them here. <laughs> Keep the Bible open. I want to show you one more thing. Verse 13. So Mary Magdalene and these two disciples in verse 13, and they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. This third group, Somebody here needs to hear this. This third group were the ones that were wandering. The residue, that would be those 11 in that upper room. They're locked in, scared. They don't know what to do. They're lost, really. I mean, for three and a half years, they've walked with Jesus. And now he's been arrested and crucified. The Roman soldiers remember what he said. They remembered that he says, I'll be crucified at the hands of angry men, but I'll be buried on the third day I'll rise again. Roman soldiers remembered it. They went to Pilate and said, hey, hey, man, you remember what this guy said? He said he's going to rise again. We better, do, we better send some guards and guard that tomb. We don't want this rumor that he's the Messiah and... To say, we don't want it to go any further. We don't want nobody to steal his body and claim that he's resurrected. But his own disciples forgot that word. And so they're in the upper room not knowing what to do. Eleven of them. Ten. Thomas was absent the first time Jesus showed up to them. They were wandering. They were lost. They didn't know which way to go. I'm going to speak to an individual right now and listen to me. I don't know who you are. We live in a generation and we live in a time among the church of Jesus, the people of God, when there's more, more folks, more brothers and sisters who are just kind of lost than ever before. I'm not talking about lost in regards to salvation lost. I'm not about saved men and women, but, but life has happened or maybe you strayed. Maybe you walked away. You've not been in the Word. You've not talked to Him in prayer. You need to listen. 
and you just don't know which way to go. You used to know what you were doing. You felt you had a purpose. You felt the hand of God on you, leading you and guiding you, and now you just kind of, you look at the Word and there's nothing. You pray and it seems like heaven's silent and so you just don't know where to turn. You don't know which way to go. And you're like, Lord, what on earth am I here for? Why do I even exist? I'm just going through the motions, just day to day. I have no direction, I have no goals. Lord, some days I don't even know if I'm saved. Most days all you hold on to is your faith, that's all you have left. And the rest of the time you're struggling because you just need a sense of calling. And I I hate to see you in that place because hear me, God's got a purpose for you. You hear me preach this all the time. I just, I've got to get you to believe it. But we get lost sometimes. We get lost along the way. Kyle, in land navigation, one of the best things to do, rather than take your map when you're lost, rather than take your map and try to triangulate a place, try, try to triangulate your location, figure out where you're at, one of the best things to do is just backtrack to your last waypoint. In other words, go back to where you left off at. Go back to where you knew where you were at. Start the journey from there again. That's what you need to do right now. Listen to me. He's not forsaken you. I let, let me just let's go. Number one, the worst. Somebody here, you just need to bless God. You need to bless God today during this invitation time. That He could love somebody like me and like you. The things you've said before with an, un, with an unconverted tongue, the things you've done, the attitudes you've had, the places you've been, and He still chose to save you and to save me. What a Savior. You ought to praise Him today for that, that He would even show up at your house, that He would even knock on your heart's door. He's worthy of our praise because of the worst. And then the wounded. I know in this church right now, these people hurt with hurts that they can't even speak of they hurt so bad. I know that. But I would not be offering you a bomb if I didn't believe they was healing in that bomb. And there is a bomb of Gilead. His name is Jesus. I believe that He can heal every wrong and make it right. I believe He can do that. I'm not saying you'll, ever, I'm not saying you'll forget it and never remember it no more. Only He can do that. But I'm saying He can take that hurt and He can minister to that hurt in your life in such a way to where you can finally move on, to where you can finally lay down that wound and lay down that hurt, to where there'll be a scar there, sure. And when you look back and you see that scar, uh, then you'll think of those memories, uh, but you'll seldom look back on it because God has done such a work of grace in your life and in your... There's some hurt people in this church today. Some people in this church, you got hurt 50 years ago. You got wounded in life some 20 years ago. Uh, For some, seven years ago, the rug was jerked out from under you but I'm telling you it doesn't matter if it was yesterday 10, 20 or 50 years there's a God that can heal and he says this is who I am this is who I am the wounded and then there's the lost the wandering man you used to be on fire and you you, you just you had it pegged down you knew where you were going and what God was doing 
you were sure the hand of God was on you. And now you're just going through motions and you're coming on Wednesday nights and you're coming on Sunday mornings and you're coming to life group and you're serving in the church and you're working when you can. But can you be honest with God if you won't be honest with me and you don't owe me a thing? This morning you come and you're just, you've run out. You've run out of road. You've gone as far as you could go without feeling like you have any purpose. You've gone as far as you could go without knowing that that God's got a call on my life. God's got His hand on me. You know what you ought to pray today? You ought to just ask God, Lord, one more time would you lay your hand on me? One more time just to give me reassurance. Just one more time so that when the clouds are heavy, my faith will see me through. Just one more time, so when the smoke of the warfare rages, I'll know that when the smoke, I can live in confidence that when the smoke clears, there's a Savior and an unseen hand that's guiding me along every step of the way. That's just who He is. He's a friend to the worst. He's a friend to the wounded. I'm certain I may not understand all of your pain. I won't act like I do. I don't know what's happened to you, unless the, and unless the same thing's happened to me, then I can't say I understand the pain you're going through. But he does. He's a friend of the wounded, and he's a friend of the wandering. Preacher, I'm just lost right now. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to turn. I want to tell you this from experience. You're going to look for what I'm preaching about, You're going to look for it in possessions. You'll never find it there. You're going to look for it in travel. I've tried that too. You won't find it. There's no location you can go where you can bury these things. You're going to look for it in a circle of friends. I don't care if you've got a thousand on Facebook. You'll never find it in friends. I brought my worst. I brought my wounds. And when I was so lost and didn't know where to go, I brought it all to the greatest man I've ever met. And his name's Jesus. And I'm thankful for a Savior who took me in. And I want to tell you what he'll do this morning. He'll take you in. January 13, 1997 is when I got saved. But in fall of 96, God started convicting me in a great, great way. They're cypress trees, or I don't know what kind of trees they are. Are they some kind of trees planted in this cemetery now? But at the top of Russ Avenue, there's a Green Hill Cemetery, or Garrett Hillcrest Cemetery, I can't even remember. And in the road going up to the middle of that cemetery, there's a statue of the Savior, all in white. And he's standing there, Not like this, and not like this. But he's standing there like this, with nail-scarred hands. And for years, I had patrolled up and down that road, and I had neglected the sight of the Savior standing like that. In the fall of 1996, coming up Russ Avenue one night in my patrol car, I glanced up there really quick and something caught my eye. It was a statue that had always been there. 
And I'd passed it by so many times. Yeah. Two in the morning, I stopped. I was tore up. Man, I was under conviction. I put it in reverse, and I backed up just enough for me to get a look. And I said, it can't be. The position, I know it's Jesus, but the position of those hands. I rolled that wind up, and I pulled right two in the morning. Didn't have to worry about traffic. I made a big loop right all the way in the other lane of traffic, whipped around, stopped in the wrong direction of travel where it was on my side. Rolled my window down, and I took one good look, and there he was. And it was almost as if not only were those those hands beckoning me but it was almost as if those hands were just offering me the invitation collapse in my arms collapse in my arms it took me a few months to get there but January 13, 1997 I collapsed in his arms I neglected it for so long he had been there the same way the whole time that I'd been living my life, living my life, living my life, and like a Savior so patiently waiting, He was there. He was there till I come to the end of myself, until one day I did. And He took me in. And He knew I'd been the worst. And He knew I'd been wounded in life. Life hadn't been fair for me. And He knew that I was wandering, searching, looking, and I'd run out of things to try. But when I tried Jesus, when I laid in His arms... It's been good ever since, Brother Johnny. It's been right. Somebody today, you need to quit passing him by. You need to collapse in his arms. There's outstretched arms waiting for you. I want you to stand in that pew right now. Stand with us. Martha, y'all be ready to say, stand. And when they start singing, I want you to come to this altar and I'm going to meet you here and I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to pray for you. Because they sing, come. Come from the back. Come. You need to collapse in His arms. Come. That's right. Already moving. Come. Take the ship of your life. Mm, listen. It's tossing on a sea of strife. That's it. You need someone. Yeah. If you feel so all alone and your house is not a home, need someone If it seems life isn't fair And there's no one left to share All those lonely days and nights When things won't turn out right You want someone who cares Someone to be there You need someone I give you Jesus He's the peace that passes all understanding I give you Jesus He's the perfect love that casteth out all Drink and never thirst.